You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, Life in Christ, we walk through 1 John, written to the church for our joy, our holiness, and our assurance. Today we're going to continue our journey through the book of 1 John, and we're going to finish out chapter 3. So let me pray for us, and then we will dive into what God has for us today. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for all these men and women that um, are in the North American Mission Board that are planning churches, that are uh, helping others strengthen churches, Lord, that are part of send relief teams all over uh, the continent of North America that are, are being sent to help people when disasters come and, and whenever they need um, great help as we were part of this past weekend. And Father, we uh, we thank you so much that we can gather together. And again, as as it been alluded to, what your passage is going to show us today, it's is trying to bring comfort to a guilty heart. And Lord, um, many times, in specifically what John is going to show us, it's in that time of prayer, in that time that we are before you in your presence, that oftentimes we disqualify ourselves. And Lord, I pray today that we will see your love, that we will see all that Jesus has done, and Lord, that we will find comfort in those times, that we can have confidence before you. That's what John is after today, is for us, those he was writing to, and also us today, to have confidence before the Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So have you ever been praying and suddenly your conscience says something like this to you? Look at you. Who do you think you are to come before God and ask anything from him? Why just this week you did things and said things that would disqualify you from ever receiving anything from God? Don't you remember that attitude you had yesterday? Don't you remember how you got angry with your wife for no reason last week? What about that unclean thought that passed through your mind three days ago? You passed someone broken down on the road and could have stopped to help, but you didn't. You're sure not much of a Christian, are you? These are the thoughts that roll in our heads sometimes when we have the time and take the time to go before the Lord in prayer. What right do you have now to come to God and ask Him for anything? Such thoughts such as these can shut down your prayer time in a, in a really quick. It can just shut it down. We're, we're going to the Lord in, in need, maybe. We're going to the Lord to worship Him. We're going to the Lord to thank Him, to praise Him. But then all these guilty thoughts are coming through our minds, and it just it shuts down our time with the Lord. It's, it's hard to pray when you don't have assurance and confidence that God welcomes you and is willing to hear your prayers. It's hard to, to go before him and be in front of him. And, and maybe that's why many of us it struggle with our prayer time because we are carrying these guilt, guilty consciences into our time of prayer. I know I'm guilty of it. I know I've experienced exactly some of the things that... I just read to you. Maybe you're here today and fell short of the challenge that we were challenged of last week, and that is to find someone to love specifically this past week. 
And maybe now that, that I just reminded of you, oh, now, oh, yeah, I, I guess I was supposed to do something last week, right? And maybe that guilt is coming in to your heart. If you are experiencing this now or have ever experienced any or many of the scenarios that I have mentioned, John has a word for us today. Where do we find comfort for a guilty heart? Where do we find comfort for a guilty heart? We find comfort in the confidence that we are his children. That we are his children. How do we know that we are his children? Well, the the first thing John has showed us in in the beginning part of of chapter 3 is we know that we are his children by the love we show one for another, right? That's One of the things that he's saying. Now, if you go back and and look at the whole beginning of 1 John, he says that if you walk in light, you know that you are a child of God. If you obey his commandments and live a righteous life to the best of our ability. See, we love as he loved, sacrificially, in deed, and in truth. That's what he called us to do last week. Since we are in the family and since we love others in the family, we can come to our Father with our prayer requests with confidence, assurance that he will hear us. We can have confidence. We can boldly go to his throne because the guilt has been taken care of. The condemnation has been taken care of. Jesus has done that for us. As a child of God, we possess God-given, spirit-abiding, heart-confidence if we believe in Christ, if we love our brother, if we obey his commands, then God reassures our hearts and answers our prayers. That's kind of like a one-sentence scenario of all of chapter 3 and a little bit of what he said before chapter 3. Just listen to that. As a child of God, we possess God-given, spirit-abiding, heart-confidence. If we believe in Christ, love our brother, obey his commands, then God reassures our hearts and answers our prayers. That's what John's going to tell us today. He reassures our hearts and he answers our prayers. Read with me in 1 John 3, 19 through 24. And we can see if this statement, go ahead and leave that statement up there, kind of matches what what is being said here. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever a heart condemns us, there's the guilt, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before him. In other words, if if that guilt has been removed, then we can have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what, he, what pleases him. Again, there's prayer. And this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abide in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So again... As we're walking through this passage, he's, and we get to verse 19, he's kind of referring to the, the verses that he, he just said that, that we looked at last week. So when John says, by this, at the beginning of verse 19, he refers back to the previous paragraph where the topic is love for fellow believers. So by this, by, by loving one another, by the fruit of our love, it shows the evidence that we are 
his child, that we are his. And then he, he continues, when we love, we know that we are of the truth. That's what he says here. We are of the truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth. That is, we are truly Christians and are behaving according to the truth of the gospel and thus the will of God. Again, he, he comes to this point where he's going to say that, that we shall know something. This knowledge, we shall know this. He said this last week where we shall know something. And he's going to use that same terminology and phraseology in the passage again today. This knowledge, we shall know, allows us to reassure our hearts, to give us confidence that we need. Not to listen to our guilty conscience, but to have the confidence to boldly to go before God in prayer, in worship, as we just did through song, in worship and praise, as we just cry out to him sometimes, when we need him, when we have petitions that, that we just need him to, to, to interact and, and need him to intervene in. It's this confidence that we need to go before him. And sometimes we don't, we don't think about this because it, I, I think that we lose the, lose the awe-ness so much of, of God sometimes. Like we, we read the word and, and we look at it as a word and we, and we lose the, the awe-ness of, of, of the idea that we are able to go before the presence of God. That it's even hard to like think, oh, what's the big deal, Joe? Like, I don't understand why you're making a big deal of this. I, I think the reason why is because we lose that awe sometimes. And as we just, the daily grind of life and we lose the, the awe of God. Like, you know, one of the illustrations of, of the awe of God is, is nobody stands at, at the, the crest of the Grand Canyon and cry out, look how awesome I am, Right? They don't do that because the aweness of the Grand Canyon. And I think many times we lose that awe of God to, to understand and completely understand all that God has done to bring us into his presence. And what a privilege that is. And in fact, we're, we're going to see how much that is so important to him. Because prayer and worship is where we are. And these are the two words I kind of got stuck on this week. Uh, probably lost half of a day looking at this as I meditated on this. We are before him. We are in his presence. That's massively, massively huge. This, it, it's so important to God that we are able to be in his presence. It is so important to him. Again, I just kind of got stuck on this and meditating on it and before him. I mean, just read the flow of 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth. In other words, if we are loving our brothers and sisters, we will know that we are of the truth. In other words, that we are his children and reassure our, our heart before him. We have reassure our heart. We are confident in his presence. We are confident before him. And again, this idea before him in his presence. Have you ever stopped to think about that all the way through the Bible? The presence of God is where the whole story began, is it not? 
I mean, you stop and think about this. God made the earth and he made everything and he made the garden even, Eden. And then what did he do? He made Adam and Eve and he put them in the garden for what reason? So that he can be with them. So that he can be in the presence. So they could be in his presence that, so that they can be together. It's so very important to God that we, to be with him, to be in his presence. The goal of the redemptive story of God is for his children to be in his presence for all eternity. That's what we're working towards. That one day the new heavens and the new earth will come down and that we get to be with God, be in his presence forever. That's everything from Genesis to Revelation. The whole redemptive story is so God can be with us. So that we can be in the presence of God. That we can be with God. God made the garden and then made Adam and Eve. I've said that. He desires to be present with us, all centered around a relationship. All centered around a relationship. So we're, we're talking about the creator of everything, the, the, the person that sustains everything, that holds everything together, that gives you the breath in your lungs, that, that, that makes the gravity of earth, that keeps us stuck to the earth. The God that made everything desires for you to be in his presence. And everything that we talk about every Sunday, everything that's written in this book is taking us from from where we messed up being in his presence, bringing us all along so that we can one day be in his presence for all eternity. That's utterly amazing, at least to my heart. Again, after his creation rebelled against him, he still very much desired to be drawn near to them. He drew near to them, what, in a burning bush. A pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, in a whisper to Elijah, in the passing by of Moses in the cleft of a rock. He wrestled with Jacob, and of course, ultimately, taking on flesh, he became Emmanuel, God with us. This is important to all of us, because to know salvation is to know God's Presence. Christ came into the world, into human history, in order to give his life as a ransom for many. His substitutionary death is tied to the divine being present with man or for man. For salvation to be real and effective, God must be with us. God must be one of us so that he can be the sacrifice for us. He must be the perfect sacrifice. He took the wrath that we deserve. He came into the world to reopen access so that we may draw near to God once again. Hebrews 7.19 says, For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced. That better hope was Jesus Christ, through which we draw near to God. We can draw near to God. We can be in his presence. The presence of God also has implications for the way we understand the community of believers. How we understand what we do on a Sunday morning, what happens whenever believers to get together on a roof in Crescent Town. You know, it was quite interesting that the one thing that kind of baffled the people that were kind of watching was this. How is there a group of people not getting paid a dime, coming together, working their butts off with smiles on their face and joy in their heart? It's because they're working for the Lord. 
is because they're loving their neighbor. And, and as they love their neighbor, they're loving one another as they work together to complete a project. And it's so important that, that we understand that whenever we gather together, the presence of God is, is with us. We don't need to, to call him down or do anything like that. He's here. He walked through the door. He lives in each one of you. And then there's a special thing that happens whenever all the saints gather together. In fact, Ephesians 2 captures it well. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. We both now have access. He's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles, those that were near and those that were far off. All have now access through, through one person, to the, through the Spirit, to the Father, through Jesus Christ. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That is the church. His presence dwells with us. He desires for you to be in his presence and look at everything that he has done just for you to be in his presence. So therefore, John's saying, look, brother, look at everything that he's done. So whenever you step into your prayer closet, whenever you step into your prayer time, he's saying, do not, do not let guilt and condemnation come over your mind. So therefore that, that you will not pray to God because you should have confidence you are a child of God. He has saved you and he's brought you into his presence. The church, according to Paul, is where God dwells and the church plays a role in bringing him about God's redemptive mission. It tells others about God's presence to save and helps prepare believers to enter into God's presence once and for all in the new heavens and the new earth. Think about what would happen if the church understood herself to be the reflection of God's presence to a lost world. How would this affect the way the body of Christ does ministry and views the other working parts of the body? It changes how you look at other believers. That believer that, that you might be aggravated with or talking bad about, they have the presence of God in them also because God saved them, not on their merits, but on Christ's merits. It might change the way we look and love on each other. How do we show his presence? Well, we love one another. That's Paul's whole point. I mean, that's John's whole point. We love one another. And when we love one another, it proves we are his children and we may have confidence before him. We may have confidence when we go and pray to him. We may have confidence when we go to share his presence by witnessing to others. And we have that, you know, that 
story that's running in our head, we, as was stated, that we don't know enough or we are not eloquent enough in, in different things. We can have confidence because God is with us. We are in his presence. But when we don't, when, when we are before God and are thinking those things, I meant, as I mentioned at the beginning of ser- the service, when we are feeling guilty, John says this, for whenever our heart condemns us, this is verse 20, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. He knows everything. God is greater than my guilty conscience, my guilty heart. And he assures me of complete forgiveness through the perfect work of Jesus. He knows everything. Right? He knows our hearts. He knows all the things that we don't tell anybody. He knows it all, and he still accepts us because of Christ. He still loves us because of Christ. Because he loves us. We can claim once more the wonderful truth. Don't forget this truth. In 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Sometimes I doubt. Sometimes I disobey. Sometimes hate comes seemingly out of nowhere and these things bother me. That is bad. Right? Is that a bad thing? I mean, many times Christians, we, as we talk to people that are growing in their faith, and even sometimes I have these thoughts. It's like, man, if I'm doing all these things, then there's something wrong with my Christianity. No. If you care about all those things, there's something very right about your Christianity. That means that the Holy Spirit's dwelling in you. Because if the Holy Spirit wasn't dwelling in you, if His presence wasn't in you, you would care less about those things. You would do them because you're selfish and self-centered, and, and you want those things to happen to to better your agenda, to move along your agenda, right? So no, it's actually a good thing to have some of these issues, at least to acknowledge them and to see them. It's, It's good to repent and get rid of them, yes. Those who do not know Christ ask none of these questions. Such issues do not bother those who have hard hearts. When your heart hurts and your conscience condemns you, Look to God. Look to God. Look to Him. Look to Christ and the gospel because He is greater than our conscience and He knows all things. He knows, He sees, yet He still accepts us in Christ. What is key to this confidence is this we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. This is what He says in verse. 23. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. To believe in the name of God's son, Jesus Christ, is to place your trust, your faith in him, and only him, and all that he is. The divine son, the incarnate deity, the sinless human, the perfect atonement for our sin, the messianic savior, all those who define and show us what Jesus did for us on the cross. That's what we're believing in when we believe in Jesus Christ. We believe that he is who he says he is, right? That he was fully human and fully God. That he lived a sinless life. And through that sinless life, he became the perfect sacrifice for our sins because he was fully human and fully God. When we trust in him, we can do what the Hebrew writer states in Hebrews 4.16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can have confidence before him. 
we can have confidence before him. He desires for us to be in his presence. Or with the same confidence, John says we can go to him in prayer. We can go to him in prayer. In verses 21 through 22, he says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. This, there's a, a beautiful and natural flow to John's argument in these verses. Listen to how he unpacks it. Loving others as we have been loved by Jesus assures us that we are in the truth. Even when we don't love perfectly, God says, trust me, not your conscience, which is not infallible and is not always correct. Now that we are confident before God, we can be confident when we pray. When we pray, we can be confident. We can be confident before him. And because we are, we are obeying his commands, don't, we can't just like stop and, and pull this out of context and say, oh, hey, there's a verse that says that, that whatever I pray that I'm going to get. And, and many people have done this and, and, and led people astray. No, he's saying, he's saying this after he said everything from chapter 1 all the way down to chapter 3. He says, if you are walking in the light, if you are living a righteous life, if you are obeying him, if you are loving your brother and sister, then you can go boldly before him because you are his child. Get rid of your guilty conscience and boldly ask. And whenever you're living like this, you're going to be walking and living in his will. So therefore, what you're probably asking for lines up with scripture and lines up with his will because it's moving his kingdom forward because this is how you're living your life. It, it, it's, it's not like a, a, a hard drive that spins and spins and whenever you need information, it just picks it up. That's not how our life goes. John is, is trying to show us that it, it's all connected together. We can't just pull this, this passage out of, of, out of context and say, oh, there's a passage that says, whatever I pray, he'll give me. No, that's not what he's saying. He's like, if all these things are happening, then what's probably happening in Joe's heart is Joe is, is in his word. He's spending time with God. He's communing with God. He's being in his presence. He's hearing from God. And then the things he's probably asking is along the lines of his will. They're along the lines of what God is going to grant. That's, that's the Christian life. That's what he's unpacking here in these, these first three chapters and trying to show us this. My request in prayer flows from a heart and life that first delights in keeping his commandments and second does what he pleases. You see the, the, the heart posture, not only do we get rid of the guilty conscience because of what Christ has done, but, but we are following his commands that way we're living a life that is pleasing to him. So therefore, when we ask, we're going to be asking probably within his will. And he's going to answer those prayers. This is what John's argument is. Spurgeon said it like this. If our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. He who has a clear conscience comes to God with confidence. And that confidence of faith ensures to him the answer of his prayer. Childlike confidence makes us pray as none else can. It makes a man pray for great things, which he would never have asked for if he had not learned this confidence. It makes him pray for little things, which a great many are afraid to ask for. 
because they have not yet felt toward God's uh, felt towards God the covenants of children. In other words, he's given this idea that if you're a child of God, you have this confidence going to your father. This confidence to ask for great things and ask for little things. A lot of the shame has been removed by the cross. A lot of the guilt has been removed by the cross. He goes on to say, the man of obedience is the man whom God will hear because his obedient heart leads him to pray humbly and with submission for he feels it to be his highest desires that the Lord will should be done. Hence, it is that the man of obedient heart prays like an oracle. His prayers are prophecies. Is he not one with God? Doth he not desire and ask for exactly what God intends? How can a prayer shot from such a bow ever fail to reach its target? Do you see that, that what Spurgeon is trying to lay out is what John kind of laid out is this person, the person that's, that's following and, and living such a life that John has laid out, that whenever he's praised, he's praying in such a way, right? How does, how, how does that, that he not desire and ask for exactly what God intends? What he intends, that's what our prayers become, right? And then those prayers are the ones that he's going to answer, and we can have confidence that he's going to answer them because they're within his will. They're within his will. Believers with clear consciences, confident access, and obedient lives that please Christ can be assured that God will hear and answer their prayers for their good and for his glory. I mean, after all, we, we, are, we are a trusting child coming to a loving father who knows all my sins. He knows all my imperfections. He knows, he knows all the sins that I've confessed to community group and at my deed group and to my brothers and sisters that are close to me. He knows all those sins, and he knows all the sins that we never confess. He knows it all, right? And still loves me and still accepts me but always in his son. If you're not believing on Jesus, if you're not trusting on Jesus, then that's not true of you. And as if that is not enough, God wanting and desiring to be present with his creation, God actually comes to abide in us through his spirit. This is what verse 24 shows us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. Working backwards and paraphrasing the verse helps us clarify what John is teaching us. By the Holy Spirit whom God has given us as a grace gift, we know that God abides in us and we abide in God. In other words, if you are born again, if you are a new Christian, then you can have confidence because the Holy Spirit's dwelling in you. And because the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you, you know God abides you, so therefore you can have the confidence to go before the Lord. That's John's argument. Having the Spirit of God and abiding and remaining in God always go together. You cannot abide in God without the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. Like, you cannot produce the fruit that pleased God without the Spirit of God because He's the one that produces the fruit in us, through us. John Stott unpacks it this way. The Spirit whose presence is the test of Christ's living in us manifests Himself subjectively in our life and conduct. It is He who inspires us to confess Jesus as the Christ come in the flesh, as John immediately proceeds to show. 
It is also He who empowers us to live righteously and to love our brothers and sisters. So if we would set our hearts at rest when they accuse and condemn us, we must look for evidence of the Spirit's working, and particularly whether He is enabling us to believe in Christ, to obey God's commands, and to love our brothers. For the condition of Christ's dwelling in us and of our dwelling in Him is this comprehensive of obedience. And the evidence of the indwelling is the gift of the Spirit. It's the gift of the Spirit. So as the Spirit works in us, and it points us to the Word, and reminds us of the Word, and it changes our hearts, and we produce fruit such as love, joy, peace, patience, and all those, it's showing that we truly are His child. And if we truly are His child, then we can confidently go before Him in prayer. So where do we find comfort for a guilty heart? By knowing we are in the truth, believing, loving, obeying, and that the truth lives in us through the Spirit. By knowing that we are in the truth, God reassures our hearts and He answers our prayers. He answers our prayers. I I pray today that, that you have seen how important it is to be, that God wants you to be in his presence, that God wants to be with you. You are his child. He set all this up to spend eternity with you. We can confidently go before him and eliminate the guilty conscience, eliminate the guilty heart through the cross and boldly go to him in prayer. Shall we pray? Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that we have seen today that you so much desire for us to be in your presence. You desire that so much that you came and took on flesh to take the penalty that we deserve, so therefore you opened up the access that we can come before you again. That's the love you have for us. And Lord, I pray if if anyone here that that struggles in those times of of prayer time or reading scripture and that guilty conscience kicks in and and runs that story over and over again, that that we can capture those thoughts and we can speak truth to those thoughts. The truth that I'm forgiven. God knows me and I can confidently go before him, before you, God, in prayer. Lord, I pray that you would help us do so boldly. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.